Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited to be joined today by Melissa Mayer, founder and CEO of the Pinnacle Enterprise Group. Pinnacle Enterprise Group is a female-led firm that offers a range of effective and tailored programs and solutions for executives, leadership teams, and businesses who want to make a difference and lead with purpose, both personally and professionally. Melissa, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. I'm delighted to be here. Well, that's great. So uh, let's just dive right in like I always do. Great. Um, you are a running rebel from <laughs> the University of Las Vegas. And if I did my research correctly, you did your bachelor's of hotel management there. So there must have been something early on in your age that said, hey, hospitality is for me. What drove you to that school? Oh, absolutely. Well, I grew up in Indiana where the weather was not exactly ideal, and I knew I wanted to explore hospitality. I was looking at either hospitality or journalism, and I took a trip from Indiana with my parents to go meet the dean of UNLV. And within 10 minutes of meeting the dean, I knew that I wanted to go to UNLV and I knew that I wanted to be in hospitality. He just had such a passion for the industry. And that's really when I learned that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to be in travel. And ever since I've been, <laughs> I've been in travel, it's the only industry that I've been in. And UNLV was really the heart of that. And, you know, all through the courses and up until the capstone course of running a restaurant, I just was absolutely in love with it and, and still am till this day. Well, it's a great program. I, I know a lot of running Rebel grads and some good friends. So I have two things before we get off UNLV. Where in Indiana did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Kokomo, Indiana. Okay. I lived in Indiana for seven years. Okay. In Carmel, just outside of Indianapolis. So that's funny. My parents, when I graduated from high school and moved to college, they moved from Kokomo to Carmel. <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I think we were there seven years and we had, we had a good time there. My girls loved growing up there. They had a lot of great friends that they still maintain now. But when you said Indiana, so then the second part of that question is Indiana, to Las Vegas. So you're what, 18 years old when you go off to UNLV? Yes. Small town, Kokomo, Indiana. What were the parents thinking about what, you living in Las Vegas? You know, it's really interesting. My mom was really at the heart of me 
getting out of Indiana, well, Indiana was a great place to grow up and I, I love it. And I'm, I'm a diehard Hoosier as far as a running rebel. And there were two careers. I told you that the two real careers that I wanted to go into, but I also wanted to be the first female Indy 500 winner. <laughs> and my mom said, that is probably not ideal. And she was really about getting out and exploring other parts of the world and having that opportunity to get away from hometown, get away from home state, experience different culture, different, you know, types of environment. And so that really helped with that decision, her really pushing the kids to, to move out of state. Yeah. Well, that's great support because, you know, Vegas has the, you know, connotation of being Vegas and, you know, you're, you're handing this 18 year old daughter over to the school to say, okay, take care of my baby type of thing. <laughs> yeah. A little nerve wracking. I, I think it was a little bit nerve wracking, but my parents knew several people in Las Vegas. So knew that if I ever needed something either personally or in the industry, because they had spent time in the hotels. And so it was just a, a special time. And I don't think that they were ever worried about me gambling my tuition away or anything like that. I, I, was, I was very good student and well-behaved. Oh, that's cool. So, all right. Well, I said two, but now I'm going to say three. So as you know, on the show, I always digress. So <laughs> you mentioned the Indy 500, the world's greatest race in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think I've been to only seven of them, but in the heyday, when that thing had 400,000 people in there, it's, you just don't realize a, how big that track is. And getting 400,000 people in there is just amazing. Now, did you ever do any racing yourself or <laughs> were you just a big fan? I was a big fan. My my parents would say in high school, I raced a lot. I, I think in high school, I had six car accidents. So that, uh -oh. was, that was my racing. Uh, but no, never, never did anything professionally. But it was just always, I think, such a male-dominated sport. And even at that mm -hmm. young age, I saw that no... Females were in it. And, and to your point, it's the biggest spectator sport that there is. And so just had such a draw. And as you know, from going there seven times, just the energy and excitement and the whole experience is really phenomenal. Yeah. I always tell people the, the half an hour before the race starts and the first 20 laps are arguably the most exciting moments in racing sports and then the last 30 laps everything else in between i could take a nap and <laughs> we'd go around and you know go down to the pit and i would just walk around and people watch right right during the bulk of that race and a, a good friend of mine who's going to be on the show later this season calvin oaks he actually got to shoot the starter's pistol or something but he he was he introduced me to indie racing when I got there. He was my director of engineering. But oh, um, that's just amazing! A fantastic guy. But yeah, he got me into that. So all right, enough about indie cars. I could talk all day about that. But so let's get back to you, Europe. You graduate UNLV with a bachelor's in hotel management. Mm -hmm. What's the first gig right out of school? So actually, while I was in school before I graduated. I did a, two internships and one at, well, actually I worked at the courtyard by Marriott. And then my internship was at the residence Inn by Marriott. And I think both of those experiences were such that 
I knew I was going to stay in the industry and I just loved it. And I think my experience at the internship at the Residence Inn was one of those internships where you do each department. And I remember the last department that I worked in was housekeeping. And I remember such a hard job and it just made me appreciate housekeeping and how important that function is. And it was just a great experience. And then after, so those were kind of in Las Vegas standards, small hotels. So my first real job in a large hotel was the Las Vegas Hilton. Oh, okay. So let me ask you, when you're, when you're at UNLV and you've got, I don't know, 12 million rooms around you and all these big monster hotels, are all the companies vying to get everybody in there? I mean, I assume it's easy to find an internship or am I wrong? It, it, it is fairly easy to find an internship and it's a, it's a prerequisite to graduating. I think they've since changed that after COVID, but there were a lot of opportunities and you could do in just one department or you could do the rounds of different departments. And I did the rounds just to figure out really where I wanted to be within the hotel. And ultimately when I went to the Las Vegas Hilton is when I started in sales and sales and marketing. So still on the, on the internships there, do you get to kind of pick, like you picked two non-gaming hotels versus going to a gaming facility hotel Do you choose that or is that kind of, are you pushed in a direction or how does that work? You choose that, but you also work with a counselor. And I chose the non-big properties because I didn't ultimately think that I would be in Las Vegas for 20 plus years and be in the heart of the hotel industry and the the large hotels. But you work with the school to identify kind of what what area that, that you want from an internship perspective. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. So, all right. So you, you do the internships, you graduate, you go to Las Vegas Hilton. What was the sales position? Junior level, entry level? I started as a sales manager in tour and travel. So basically leisure sales. And I did that for a couple of years and then had the opportunity to get into the conference side of the business. So booking, you know, small groups, small to mid-sized groups and really the, the goal there was, again, to kind of explore which direction I wanted to go. Did I want to stay in the leisure side? Did I want to go into the larger convention side? As you know, Las Vegas is a large convention destination. And ultimately, through that experience, I then moved to Bally's in Paris and did convention sales there and had the opportunity to work at Bally's and then open Paris, Las Vegas when it first opened years ago on the convention sales side. And now is there a hierarchy within the sales arenas in the Vegas market? So, so for example, I led, a lot of people don't realize this, but when we converted the Aladdin to planet Hollywood, a good majority of that was all Sheraton, right? We put in all the Sheraton suite sleepers and, and I kind of, was there for a long time on and off for months, helping with that transition. And it was interesting to me, for me to see, I didn't get involved in the sales side, but on the operation side, I knew right then that I could never work in Vegas because 
I would see like the, the I don't forget the title, but the head of the casino <laughs> come over and tell the VP of the hotel, hey, I need that suite for this whale or this person, get the person that's in there out of there. And they have to go in and like literally say, Miss Mayor, I'm sorry, we have to move you to another room type of thing. I said, I could never do that. So is <laughs> is there a hierarchy within the sales organization in Vegas as well? Absolutely. It's it's interesting. I think back when, when I was there, it's changed probably a little bit since then, but casino was definitely dominant. And your example happened you know, very, very often. And it's interesting. I, again, in kind of exploring what direction that I wanted to go, I wanted to get into casino marketing. I always knew marketing, kind of sales and marketing was my thing and, and marketing was, was important, but wanted to learn casino marketing. And it was really interesting when I was at Bally's, I had one of the senior leaders of casino marketing say, you know what, Melissa, if you're going to want to be in casino marketing, you don't have experience in that area. So a good way to get experience is to go to blackjack dealing school and kind of, you know, learn that side of the business where you don't actually have to be a dealer, but learn that side of the business. So I actually did that. <laughs> and wow. right before I graduated, by the way, that was much harder than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> but fun, very fun. And right before I graduated, I got promoted to director. So I stayed in the sales and marketing side and didn't end up going into the casino side, but to your point, I think casino always ranks higher. And it was an interesting area to learn about, you know, the revenue streams and, and how companies look at revenue streams and how, you know, different types of groups have higher gaming profiles. I, I remember when I was at the Las Vegas Hilton, my very first group that I ever booked I was so proud and I ran into my boss's office and I said, look, I got my first contract signed. And he looked down and he said, it's a youth soccer group. They don't gamble. <laughs> so that was a big lesson learned that, that gamblers and the casino business is higher ranking than sales and marketing, or at least was at the time. And that, you know, and that's why my question comes is kind of like, is it like there's the leisure, the tour and travel have a higher gambling profile than a group type of conference? Or is it all based on the company, the industry, and there's so many things that go into it? It's, it's, there's so many things that go into it. It's really, a, it's fascinating to me when I first started because you learn about different industries and the types of groups that the casinos want are industries that people are more risk takers. So entrepreneurs and you know, think about people that have a more risky job is the type that they want in because they'll spend more money in the casino and they'll spend more money taking risks and, and bigger bets and gambling more. Yeah. And I, I wonder now, because you've been out of it, I mean, you're still a very young lady, but you've been out of it for a number of years. And I wonder now with the, you know, you hear the stories that the the gambling doesn't make as much money as the food and beverage anymore, or at least pre-pandemic. Right. And I'm wondering if that's changed the the business model to, you know, to back in the day where food and beverage was kind of like, yeah, it's the free buffet that's crap right. over here. But now you've got such a spread in these casinos. I wonder if that's more important than the gambling. 
I think it is. And I, you know, I stay in touch with a lot of executives in Las Vegas. I actually have a couple of clients now in my pinnacle business that are in Las Vegas. And definitely, I think the, the room revenue and the food and beverage revenue, the experiences and entertainment revenue is certainly much more important nowadays than it was when, when I was there a few years yeah. ago. A few years ago. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So opening a hotel is always fun. How far in advance did you join Paris for the opening? I was actually working at Bally's about a year prior to Paris opening. And so it was sort of a dual role preparing for the opening of Paris while working at Bally's. And it didn't really get as much of a dual role until a few months in, but it was it was high pressure. It was really fun. It was a, a time in my career where I really realized the importance of who you work with matters because you spend so much time with them, especially towards it got closer to opening. You're you know spending the night there and you're you know spending you know hours and hours. And I, I think that's why I've always stayed in the hotel business is the people and and realizing that and going through the opening while you know, stressful was a really awesome experience for me. Yeah. Now, one of the things I always love, you know, having opened 67 hotels during my times at Starwood, always fascinated when you talk to the salespeople because, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to say something here and I don't mean to make something sound easier than it is, but selling an existing property where your client comes in and does a tour, you know, does the whole shop and all that kind of stuff versus selling what I called the dream, right? Because at Starwood, we would bring the sales team in, depending on the size of the hotel, anywhere from two years in advance of the opening to, you know, as little as eight months, depending on the size. And that ability to translate or transfer your knowledge into, okay, I, I can sell an existing building. How do I sell the dream? Did you find that challenging going into Paris? You know, it, it was really interesting because the experience with Bally's and Paris we had a lot of clients, both leisure and corporate, that had been at Bally's for years, and Bally's in Paris were connected. So selling a much more upgraded product, and that was at the time where the the you know iconic hotels were just really kind of starting to to flourish on the Strip with you know the Luxor and Treasure Island and Paris and and all of that. And so I found selling the dream was much easier than when people wanted Paris trying to get them back into Bally's. So yeah. kind of, kind of the, re the reverse, but I think there's also, and you know, this better than anyone. I think there's always times when, when clients are nervous to go into a new hotel just because it's new and they're, you know, figuring out, you know, all the operational things that need to be figured out and there could be service issues and all that. So I think selling the dream in the new hotel, there are certain, certainly challenges with that too. Yeah. And it was always tough selling anything near the opening date, right? Because so yes. many hotels get delayed and yes. you know, what would happen then, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay. So you're at Paris. How long were you there? Oh gosh. I was at Ballets in Paris for, let's see, a few years. So I was at Las Vegas Hilton about seven, then Ballets in Paris a few years. And when I was at Bally's in Paris, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of clients 
And at the time, Expedia happened to be my client. So I, that was just when it became Expedia. I, it was Travelscape and then Expedia acquired Travelscape. And so it was, they called me and said, Melissa, we have this perfect job for you. We want you to come to Expedia and manage all of the hotel relationships in Las Vegas. And what was really appealing to me was I got away from just having that one view of Las Vegas Hilton or Bally's or Paris to being able to look at the market as a whole and work with all of the hotels. So I felt really fortunate that that was a, a fun move in my career to be able to work with so many different partnerships. Yeah. And that all came about because they were your client at Bally's in Paris. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's a good fortunate break right there because you had a little bit of a tenure with Expedia, right? Because I think you only worked there, what, like 21 years? <laughs> yes, yes. Which, you know, which for my listener in Topeka, Kansas, you know, I'm trying to do the math here, you know, seven years at the Hilton, <laughs> you know, a couple Paris, 21 here, but you look like you're 26 years old now. So I, you know, I don't know where all these years went. I don't either. And I was, I was trying to hesitate to give you numbers so that you wouldn't do the math. <laughs> So you joined Expedia as the market manager for Vegas, correct? Actually, my title was director or of sales. Director of sales. Okay. Which is and, and that was in 01, right? Yes. If I've done my research right? Yes, that was in 01. And so you continually moved up the ladder to fast forward. You left, I think, as the chief marketing officer and SVP of marketing and industry engagement, if that's if I've got my titles right. You do. But there must have been a journey in there that was kind of cool between coming on as a regional, the director of sales, market management, whatever I was calling it, from 01 to 22 when you left. So let's go through your Expedia journey. Was it always in Vegas or were you moving around with Expedia? I was based in Vegas in the beginning. And then I had moved towards the end. I had moved to California. And because my role was so global, and I traveled so much, I was able to, to work kind of from, from anywhere, a lot of times from an airplane. But when I started and, and I was managing the, first it was the Vegas hotel, Las Vegas hotels, and then it became all of the gaming hotels. So other markets like Reno, Lake Tahoe, Biloxi. And, you know, it was an interesting time. I had an amazing boss who is the owner of Vegas.com. And his name is Michael Reichartz. And what he really taught me from day one is the power of partnerships and really making sure that your partners and you're not competitors and really the, the power of having a win-win negotiation. And I think from starting in that space and learning about the power of partnerships it's really just how I built my career is always wanting to be on the partner side, the B2B side, and really have those partnerships, whether it be individual hotels, whether it be small chains, large global chains, ownership groups, the industry. I, I ran our industry you know, outreach program and so had the opportunity to work with media and thought leaders and 
schools, you know, hospitality schools. So it really, I think, was that power of, of partnerships that helped me kind of build my career. And the I think the other thing too is I I always was curious about things that I didn't know. And one of the things that I did when I when I saw a business need and I thought there was an opportunity for me to learn something, I would put a business case to my boss and say, okay, let me take on this particular you know, new function because it will help the business. And it was an opportunity for me to learn. And what I've found is a lot of times when you're asking your boss to take on more responsibilities and connect revenue to it or, or lower expenses, they never say no. So <clears throat> that was how I got into different areas as far as connectivity or PR or, you know, the, the various functions that, that I was in. So let me ask you a question, because I think you also got your MBA from UNLV, correct? Yes, I did. I'm a double rebel is what I call myself. Double rebel. And <laughs> did you do that during your time at Expedia or so you were working full time and doing your MBA? Yes. Yes. Which Expedia was a great supporter of that. And it was really something that I'm glad I didn't do immediately after my MBA so that I had some experience under my belt. Mm -hmm. And what I liked about the program was being with other industries and, you know, there were doctors and there were insurance leaders and, you know, all kinds of, of different people that, that were in that program, but it was another kind of appreciation moment for, wow, what we do in hospitality is more fun than any of these other industries. Yeah. I think that's for sure a thing that other people see, right? When they start connecting with people like you at an MBA program, they say, wow, you guys seem to have a lot more fun than, you know, other people do. Exactly. You, may, you may drink a little bit more. You may stay out later a little bit more, but you seem to have a little bit more fun than, than the, the rest of us. Exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who are able to have a career within one company and continually show growth and advancement. So, I mean, you became a VP in 06 of Global Strategic Accounts and Industry Relations, I believe, right? Right, correct. And then, you know, six years later, SVP of Global Partner Groups. So you have some very cool titles in here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what what is Global Partnership Groups, for example? What was your role in that position? Yes, in that position, that was a great position because it really was an opportunity for me to lead the strategy and the relationships with all of our B2B partners in the ownership space, the regional accounts, and the, the global chains. And that was an opportunity for me to also be the industry connector from Expedia. And Unfortunately, there are times where OTAs have a negative outlook. And so it was really important for me to build very, very strong relationships with the chains and the hotel partners and make sure that it was our relationship was a 365 year relationship. And it wasn't just when we were negotiating the contract. So I've been fortunate to develop some just amazing partnerships and friendships out of the, the times when I was at the global partner group. 
And were you pretty much living on an airplane at that point? I was. <laughs> In fact, I had a lot of friends that traveled quite a bit and they would always keep track of their miles. And I never, ever kept track of my miles because I was too scared to, to actually look at it. <laughs> I, know, I know the feeling. <laughs> I think looking back, I think my biggest year, and I just had North America. And I think my biggest year was like 252,000 miles. But again, I never looked at it really because you knew you were going to be top tier anyways. But so now the important question. So, cause I've just discovered this, this 2023 is the first year since 2001 that I am not a top tier airline <laughs> person. And I got to tell you, it ain't fun. It's painful. Have you experienced that too? I have. I have. I think it started with COVID and now in, in my uh, current company, I don't travel. I do travel, but not nearly as much, yeah. but it's definitely pain, painful. Yeah. My wife told me the other day, she goes, you do realize when we travel, we're traveling separately. She says, because I don't want to deal with you having to be with the peons, as you always called them, Brian. <laughs> So but it's it's just crazy to think, you know, all of those years you just took things for granted because you were sitting on that plane all every day. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's all right. So I'm not the only one who feels like that. All right. That's good. I feel better. All right. Enough about me. So let's let's jump ahead a little bit to CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, C-suite material here. Sweet. That's pretty huge to have a young lady as a CMO of a company the size of Expedia. Ah, thank you. Thank you. It was, it was really a, a, so CMO on the B2B side, and it was, again, one of those opportunities where we didn't have as big or as robust as a function that we should have. So it was really a good opportunity to look at how do we scale? How do we use technology in, in smarter ways? How do we get better messaging you know, to, to our hotels? And it was really just a great opportunity for me and the team to really grow. And by growing, looking at clearly growing our revenue, but also how can we grow the revenue of our hotel partners and put in smart programs? And then also look at innovation. How can we take the, you know, our marketing efforts that we were doing and help educate the hotels, the hotels that, that weren't as savvy on the marketing side. So really, again, drawing back to that partnership side, you know, how do we help help the hotels grow when they need to grow and when they want to grow and how do we develop innovative programs for them to, to benefit? Yeah. No, well, I, it's just very impressive. Any, anytime you can get to the C-suite with that you know, chief anything is a huge accomplishment. So kudos to you on that. So yeah. I'd like to spend some time while we've got it now that, you know, we, you had a phenomenal 21 year run at Expedia. And then in 2022, you put together Pinnacle Enterprises Group. So talk to me about what that is and what you guys are doing. Absolutely. Well, when I... When I left Expedia, I had the opportunity to, it, it was post-COVID, but during COVID, like many companies, we downsized groups, we reorged, reorged, reorged. And 
I had the opportunity to do a final reorganization with a really killer leadership team. And I said to my boss at the time, okay, this is the time where I'm going to reorg myself out and I'm going to take time off to figure out what's next. So very, very fortunate to be able to take, I committed to myself to take a year off and I sort of did that, but. <laughs> no, you did not. You took four months off, didn't you? I cl close. I took, I will. About three, I think three, three, three weeks, I started getting really antsy. And then I, that's when I started an executive coaching course and just loved it. And it really felt like that was something that I really wanted to focus on. And so I took that and got certified. I got certified as a life coach. I took a, a couple of other certifications and then I spent a lot of time just talking to people about what they were doing in their careers and looking at different opportunities. And what ultimately ended up happening is I created Pinnacle Enterprises Group. And what we do is we do executive coaching for more of the senior leaders. And we do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but also we'll be launching soon group coaching and so we do that. And then we also do consulting. So we will have companies that will have a variety of you know, short-term or long-term projects, whether it be working on their OTA strategy or their distribution strategy, whether it be helping with their B2B marketing business, whether it be leadership. I, get a, I do a lot of work with executives and, and their culture and leadership development. You know, there seems to be a bit of a kind of talent crisis right now, and companies are having a hard time retaining, um, attracting talent, and so do work with companies as far as a driving culture and really having the kind of North Star, if you will, connect all the way through the company so that every single employee feels that they're tied to the mission or vision of, of the company and um, really just creates a, a, a great culture. So I do that. And then I also sit on some advisory boards and that stays con very connected to the industry. I'm involved with Stay Boutique on their advisory board, Thayer Ventures. I'm part of Female Founders in Hospitality. I'm on the advisory board for Thrive, Women in Travel. So I've kind of got a little bit of that portfolio living right now, which is great. But the heart of what I'm doing now is is certainly with, with Pinnacle Enterprises Group. So I'm always fascinated. So when I retired and, and started Leeds, I came up with, you know, I didn't want Brian Proctor Consulting or BKP Consulting. I came up with a name, right, wrong, or indifferent. So where does Pinnacle mm -hmm. Enterprises Group come from? Was this a big, wild thing or was it just a very simple thing? It's it's actually very funny that you asked me that. I am um, so I was on an airplane and I was doing some work for the public board certification that I was getting. And the gentleman next to me recognized the material. So he started talking to me and he actually was on the board of a ho several hotel groups and I said, I started my own business and I don't know whether to use my own name or not. And he didn't use his own name. And we just had this interesting conversation. And 
So I had then a follow-up conversation with my, my stepdad, who has been my stepdad for my life, basically, and a good businessman. And I said, okay, I don't want to be the mayor group, but I've got to come up with a cool name that kind of goes with what I'm doing with my clients, but also what I'm doing in my career. And so we both wrote down six names and Pinnacle was on his list and was on my list. So I said, okay, that's it. And kind of the Pinnacle, you know, helping people with the Pinnacle of their career with coaching. And then obviously this is kind of my second career and the, the Pinnacle of my career launching my own company and, and doing what I'm doing. So that's where it came from. And the reason I, I giggled is because I have a woman that's helping me I just did a rebrand because of course every marketing person does a rebrand <laughs> the first year of their company. And she kept trying to convince me to call my company, the mayor group. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And she said, you have to use your name. You have to use your name. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to stick with pinnacle. So I giggle because we, we went round and round. So I can't wait to tell her this, <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> No, I love it. I always, I love to hear the stories behind company, like, you know, people like you and me who kind of stop working for the big major companies and go out on our own type of thing and do things and how they come up with the name of the company if they don't use their initials and or their name. Right, right. Well, and it's funny. I, so one of the things that I did when I took my time off is I wanted to learn one new thing every month or every week. And so I know we do silly things like a ballet class, a girlfriend and I did once, never again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing that I did is I said, okay, I want to, I want to create a website. And so I created my website and looking back, pinnacleenterprisesgroup.com is really a long URL. <laughs> so that, that was probably a mistake, <laughs> but <laughs> I know what you're saying because I, my, you know, I have leadshospitalitygroup.com and I wanted my email to be, you know, brian.proctor at lhg.com, but lhg was taken. <laughs> so I couldn't. And then everyone he said, what's with this leads hospitality group? Number one, you're not a group. Number two, what the heck does leads have to do with Brian Proctor? And why don't you just shorten everything? And I said, nope, it's going to be what it is. And, you know, people could just type it in. It's not a big deal. But, you know. <laughs> I see. It's funny. I met someone the other day at a conference and he looked at my business card and he said, wow, your email address is really long. <laughs> so I, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I get that all the time. So, all right. Well, it sounds like you're doing some cool things. You know, it's Tuesday and on Tuesday we thank people and you've already mentioned Michael Reichartz. Am I pronouncing that name right? Yes. Yes. As someone is being a uh, important person in your growth and your career. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you, Melissa, and let you thank some more folks if you have them. Oh, I will. I, I do have some folks to thank. To thank. I, I always think about my career and, and the people that helped me along the way and they're senior people, they're junior people, and there's way too many to mention, but some some really big lessons that I learned is when I worked for Dara Khosrowshahi, who is the CEO of Uber now, but was the CEO of Expedia. And I think he is the best leader in, you know, out there. And he really taught me to think really big and strategically, but at the same time to think small. 
And I remember he bought Verbo, a home away at the time for $3.5 million, billion dollars. And then the next day we were in a tech meeting and he was talking about the font on page two of a website. And I was just, you know, really, it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, you do have to really think strategically, but you also have to be, you know, in the weeds to, to be a great leader. So thank him. And then there, there are a couple of women that I'd love to thank because as I was growing up in the industry and as I was leading the global partner group and working with these large chains negotiating deals, there were very, very few times that there was a woman at the other end of the table. And my first negotiation was with Flo Lugley and she was at the time with Wyndham. She also has her own company now. So I get a lot of advice from her and she was really one who taught me, you know, she started as a client and then became a partner and then became a mentor and became a friend and just love to thank her. And then someone else in that same category, the second woman that I negotiated with, which, you know, there were a lot of negotiations and, and these two women were the only two women. Now there's a lot more, but Dorothy Dowling, Dorothy also has her own company now, but at the time she was with Best Western and we did the first Best Western Expedia deal. So that was, that was great. Gosh, all my new clients that have supported me in my new, new journey. And I want to thank them. And I think the most important people to thank are my parents. You know, I, I've always been asked, you know, who's your, who's your mentor? And I always say it's my mom. And my mom taught me at a very young age to ask for what you want. And you know, when you're young, it's hard to ask for what you want. And she said, if you don't ask for what you want, the person on the other end isn't going to read your mind. And I think back of how I built my career and I asked for certain roles and I asked for certain responsibilities that helped me grow, you know, through the, the ranks. And my mom also taught me the power of networking. I'm a massive believer in networking and she always said, you know, go out there and introduce yourself and have a voice and meet people. And that has been a, you know, a belief that I've had for, you know, since I was in high school. And in fact, I do a workshop on the power of networking, you know, to this day and can attribute it to my mom. And I talked about my stepdad. Um, he thank him because he has been one of my biggest cheerleaders and supporters and He's a serial entrepreneur and it's been, he's was always interested in things that I was doing with, you know, Expedia. And he would love to hear about my conversations with Dara and my presentations to Barry Diller and what, you know, how those went and how much I sweat during those times, <laughs> but just, just a great supporter. And he's been very helpful in, in me launching my own business and, and helping you know, be a sounding board for some of the ideas that I have and just, just a pivotal person in my career. Yeah. Oh, that's super. I mean, I love when you were talking about Flo and Dorothy, because one of the things I, I've struggled with on the show is to get enough senior female leaders on the show. And I, I get ghosted by everybody I ask almost, 
and I should do a scientific study as to why guys want to talk about themselves much more than women want to talk. But I find it so important that the young ladies coming up, I have two daughters, right? So this has always been on my mind is who do they see in jobs that they think they could do? And having people like you talk about things like this, allow young women managers to say, hey, to your point, you know, Flo was the first woman you saw on the other side of the table. You can see yourself in these major roles. And I think it's so important. So I can't thank you enough for A, bringing that up, but B, doing the show, because I think it's important to have that visibility, especially now more than ever. Oh, I I agree. And, you know, there are, there are, there are a couple of networks that that I belong to. Female founders in hospitality. I mentioned Emily, who connected us. Is mm-hmm. I would like to thank her because I've met her recently, and she's been just an aspiration. There's also a couple of other great females in that organization. Nina Cleveland, who founded the organization, is about women supporting women and having resources. And what I found is through my research is women are lacking the confidence that men have. And we've done some, some studies and I've done a lot of research and uh, building confidence is also a workshop that I do. And so one of our goals is how do we get more women to have confidence to come on shows like this and, and to speak. So hopefully that will change, but it's, it's really great to, to have those, those strong female leaders from the beginning of my career until, you know, the new, new journey in my career. So it's been great. Yeah. Well, my goal in season four is to do boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. So, you know, there was some, in the first three seasons, I would have some stretches of that, but I'm really putting my best foot forward to get, you know, if I'm going to do 40 episodes in season four, I want 20 females and 20 males, and hopefully that'll work out so far. It's working out fine. Thanks to you and thanks to people like Emily who connected us. Emily, of course, was on the show and her her tellier is doing yeah. amazing stuff uh, over in yeah. London. And so that's great. And then the last thing that I, I, I wrote down as you were talking, because I kind of chuckled, was when you were talking about your mom and you said your mom said, ask for what you want, which I firmly believe in. My dad taught me the exact same thing, but he worded it, Brian, you don't get what you don't ask for. Yep, exactly. And so that was his, you know, mantra to me. And he was a banker and, you know, we lost him very early on in his life. He died very early, way too young. Mm -hmm. But that's the one thing I always remembered from him is you don't get what you don't ask for. So don't be shy, ask for it. What's the worst I can say is no. Exactly. And that's what I tell a lot of my coaching clients that, that I have right now is the worst thing is that they will say no. I mean, you're, if you ask for a raise, you're not going to, you know, die. If you ask for, you know, a promotion or an assignment, the worst they can do is say no. So I I think it goes back to that confidence where Mm -hmm. people are just too, you know, too nervous and don't have the confidence to ask for what they want. Yeah. Well, I know you're doing some great things with um, Pinnacle and I can't wait to see your, enterprises group grow even bigger and see great things coming from you. So I could sit here and talk to you for another couple hours. Um, <laughs> but I know you've got a life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. And I can't thank you enough for for doing the show with me. And I'm gonna end it like I always do folks. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some folks, they're gonna love getting the thanks and you're gonna feel good doing it. So 
Melissa, continued success with Pinnacle. And again, thanks so much for doing the show. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate being on and, and spending some time with you. you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it if you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career please reach out to me via our tuesday thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com remember a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day so until next time be well Be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.